do 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 you hear me, sweetie? Are you hearing me? I can hear you. Uh, welcome, Zen Parenting Radio. This is uh, a podcast, a really good one, <laughs> number 189. And uh, what is Zen Parenting Radio, you may ask? Sometimes I ask myself the a- same question. 89 is so fine. 89 and you are fine. That's the year I graduated from high school. That's right, uh, 25 years ago. Yes. Yikes. Zen Parenting Radio, it's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom. That's you, sweetie, and a logical and practical dad. That's me. We have three daughters, ages 6, 9, and 11. Our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but always more importantly, to become a better you. And also remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So here we are. We're talking about two topics today that are somewhat linked. Well, kind of. We're talking about technology. Um, and they're not really related to each other, but they are both about technology. One is we're going to talk about um, a re-release of, uh, actually it's an updated edition of a book called Stop Teaching Our Kids to Kill, um, and we'll get into that. And we're also going to talk about a new software program that was developed by a 13-year-old girl in Chicago, and it's called Rethink, and it's to uh, deal with, it's to help, what's the word I'm looking for? It's to decrease bullying, cyberbullying specifically. Right. Creating a little space between stimulus and reaction. That's right. That's right. Um, but I want to throw some curveballs at you, sweetie. Uh-oh. Um, so first thing is, this is going to be quick, so don't get mad because I'm All throwing right. you a curveball. We talked a little bit about this last week. This mom uh, created this app, and I just want to get your response to it. Um, just listen to it, and then I might have to fill in the brains. It's about 20 seconds. Fill in the brains? The brains. <laughs> <laughs> How are your brains? I'm tired. My brains are... They're mushy. Mushy. Soggy like a wet sponge. <laughs> All right. Sharon Standiford was livid the day she called and texted her teenage children, and they didn't respond. Once she knew they were safe, but ignoring her calls, she got an idea. We need to develop an app that just shuts their phone completely down, that they can't even use it. And I... Okay, so sure enough, this lady did this. She created an app so that we have the ability as parents to shut off our kids' phones. Okay. So I'm going to give you my two cents, and then I want to hear your two cents. All right. On this parenting spectrum, I don't think there's anything innately wrong with this, It, but it still gives me an icky feeling. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of... Uh, I don't trust my kid. It just seems like it's backwards, okay? Um, but I I love the fact that this woman wants to keep her kids safe and wants to be able to communicate with her kids because there's a lot of parents out there that can care less where their kids are. Right. So I don't want to demonize this woman for being creative and having an app that filled her needs. But I just think it's backwards. Okay. Um, have it... <laughs> I don't know. It, it's like punitive. Well, maybe it's taking five steps beyond, meaning why not have a conversation with your child about the fact that they need to return the calls, right. make a deal in that regard. Um, I think that what you're trying to say, and, and she may say, hey, did, you know, been there, yeah, done that. Yeah, maybe I tried everything that. else. And maybe this is her way, because a lot of times we talk about natural consequences, and maybe the natural consequences, you're still not doing what I asked you to do, so therefore the, therefore the phone isn't going to work anymore. Right. So I get it, just mm-hmm. like you do. I think what we always hope for, right. let's talk about best case scenario, yeah. is that when your child gets a phone for the first time, and we've talked about this on yes. the show, that there are some... 
uh, ground rules in place. Yeah. And that it's not based, the ground rules aren't based in fear. They're not based exactly. in, I'm going to be angry at you if you don't, or, or you're if gonna you get do, in trouble, you're in trouble. Or if you don't answer it, I'm going to lock your phone out. They're based on a mutual respect and communication. Exactly. And that there's an understanding and that there is, <clears throat> if your child doesn't return your text or your call right away, that there is an understanding that they may not be able to in that moment and right. you kind of give it five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And, and, and I'm, I'm a parent. I understand when you text your child and they don't text you back right away that we get in our head and mm-hmm. we get all worried that it could be the worst case scenario, but 98% of the time, right. it's really not that. Right. There's no danger. Um, so I'm kind of with you. I mean, like you said, I'm, I don't have a beef with the app or or the lady, I think that it just gives us an opportunity to talk about maybe some steps before that because yeah. it's not just about the app. Right. The app is just a symptom of a bigger issue. Exactly. I was about to have a metaphor and I'm making this up on the fly, but like building a house and I feel like she's trying to um, patch a hole in the roof when she could have maintained the roof better right. the years up to that point. Well, that doesn't mean that this lady is a bad parent for the years before that, but I just feel like it's a Band-Aid and it's not the source. Well, and, and basically what it is, it's like that far-reaching hand yeah. saying, okay, I still have control over exactly. what you do. Right. And I think what the hope is, what we're trying to teach our kids is to not tell them that we have a hand over what they do and that we're going to be in charge or in control of them, but help them have a internal sense of right responsibility. And responsibility. And so and sometimes they're gonna mess up. Right. You know, sometimes they're not gonna call back immediately and then a discussion right. ensues. Right. You know, it's not about if we give them, you know, it's not even about freedom. It's just about we will do it this way and you're gonna have a little more space to make choices if your choices are respectful of our relationship. Right. If they're not, then things, you know, then we have then to Then you have to go to plan B. Yeah. And maybe she already went to plan B. Yeah, All I'm knows? saying is it just feels a little weird. Right. Anyways. Okay. So I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. Right. I thought it was interesting. So thanks, lady, for, for putting that so up. So if there. someone wanted to know where this app is, where um, they I'll put the um, link. I'll put the link, the YouTube link or whatever, the link where I found this. I'll put okay. it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, and before we get into the very first uh, part of, uh, oh, uh, one thing. We did do a show on cell phones nine episodes ago. Okay. ZenParentingRadio.com slash 180. It's called Kids and Cell Phones Striking a Balance. If that interests you, you can refer back to ZenParentingRadio.com slash 180. Okay. So before we get into the guts of the meeting, I want to talk about our first partner. I'm going to throw some some complex words at you. Don't do too much, Toddy. Facial orthotropics. Oh, I know Dr. Kelly, Dr. John Kelly, he's our partner. Our daughters are actually going through this right now. Um, they just had their- No, they're doing ortho. No, they're doing facial orthotropics. That's Is that what it's, it's called? Right there. He he had a, a less I was gonna say, confusing he had a, name yeah. for it, but this is from his office. Okay. I got this from his office. So the alternative to this is orthodontics. Okay. Um, nothing inherently bad about orthodontics. This is just the way that Dr. Kelly chooses to go and we're buying into what he's he selling. Show, he focuses on physiological alignment for everything, including the face and the teeth, rather than orthodontics, which is just focusing on straightening the exactly. teeth. Exactly. So facial orthotropics, it uh, addresses poor facial growth, breathing, airway issues, crooked teeth by encouraging forward facial growth, discouraging tooth removal, and maintaining proper airway function. 
function. Okay. That all sounds like good stuff. Whereas orthodontics, our teeth are often retracted or pulled back, resulting in an unfavorable facial appearance and appearance and possibly decreased airway. So basically what Todd's trying yeah. to say. But but we've been talking, for the, for the listeners who listen to us every week, this isn't the first time they heard this. True. true. So I'm, I'm kind of taking the next You're step, right. okay? And Todd, like Todd said, last week, um, or actually it was only like four or five days ago, our girls got their expanders, mm-hmm. which is part of this process. Right. So our nine-year-old daughter has an expander, and then our, 11, or our 10-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter? JC's 11. <laughs> Sorry. Boo, she's going to middle school this year. Um, she, has, she also has expanders on the top and bottom, but they're a little different because we started with her later. Right. It so, says that the earlier the better. Yeah. After 11 or 12, it's a little bit – it's more difficult to achieve. So right. if you're from Chicago and you have kids anywhere between 6 and 11 or 12 and you – believe in some of the things that we just said, give Dr. Kelly a call. And you know, the, what I've been saying, because people have been texting me a ton about this, like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? What is this? Talk to him, email yeah. him. You yeah. know what's so great about him? After the girls got their expanders, he gave them his text or his phone number so they could text him yeah. if they had questions. Not us, them. This is a dude who who's totally laid back, will talk in your language, will explain how he does things, and he's not going to try and convince you or sell you. Right. He actually even offered to like talk to a, an orthodontist in yeah. town for us right. and explain what he's doing. And we said, no, we want right. to go to you. We believed him. Okay. So, so. 5350 West Devon Avenue in Chicago, 773-631-6844, Dr. John Kelly. All right. So do we want to talk about this book first? Yeah. Or? You know, I wanted to talk about this book because What's the name of um, it? it's called Stop Teaching Our Kids to Kill. And I just want to spend a few minutes on it because it was written by someone that um, is dear to my heart. Um, one of the writers, there's two writers, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman and then Gloria DeGatano. And Gloria DeGatano is the um, CEO um, of the Parent Coaching Institute um, and also Parent Coach International because it's grown so much. But when I started at the Parent Coaching Institute, which was what, nine years ago? So like that. Nine years right ago. after JC was born, right? Yeah, so nine afterwards. or ten years ago. And um, she was just getting started and um, and I jumped on board because I loved her mission and I loved what she was doing, which was basically supporting, um, well, what I consider supporting the world, but by um, helping families, helping parents support their kids. Right. She was, you know, her mission, she uh, was to go in and help parents First of all, help themselves. Our message that we always talk about is self-care. And a lot of that for me came from Gloria and her curriculum. Um, You know, the whole concept of self-care and taking care of yourself first. If you can do that, you can be such a better parent and you can enjoy the process of parenting. So... Um, again, I uh, stay as connected to the Parent Coaching Institute as I can. I know a lot of the graduates. I used to teach there mm-hmm. um, for a long time. So um, so this book has been reissued uh, because one of the courses that Gloria teaches, um, we call it Course 2, mm-hmm. is all about the effects of media right. and media awareness and the effects of technology and what is probably her biggest passion is the effects of violence and media on Kids. Didn't Columbine inspire her to yeah to start program? the PCI? Okay, and she wrote this book with, um, like I said, uh, Dave Grossman, who is he has a website actually called Killology, and he is the author of a book called I think it's called On Killing. Yes, um, On Killing. On Killing, yeah. 
So I'll just read this to you directly. Um, On Killing was hailed as a landmark study of the techniques the military uses to overcome the powerful reluctance to kill. So let's stop there for a second. Okay. What does that mean? That basically means that when someone goes into the military, um, the natural way of being for a human for a human is to not want to kill right. because that's our natural instinct is right. to be compassionate and connected. But when someone is going into a, some kind of um, hostile hostile situation, but the word I was looking for when you know if there was going to be military action yeah. and they had to um, train them to kill, yes, and that they had to teach. You know, they had to train these civilians how to overcome that feeling of not wanting to kill, so they will kill. Right. So they'll take action. So what do they do? So what he writes about it on killing is that what they do is kind of like what we're feeding our kids these days. Right. And what that is, is we, you know, lots of violence that they have to witness. Um, all of these video games that our kids are playing, they are ridiculously similar, if not exact, to the simulators Mm -hmm. that the military uses. And it's not only just on teaching civilians to kind of overstep that natural instinct to not kill, but, you know, those in the military who are trained to be sharpshooters Mm -hmm. and such, they use kind of like they're simulators. They're like the video games that our kids play. Right. And here's the thing, what I found this, you know, this is my second time going through this book because, like I said, it's been revised and reissued, is that it really is just this crazy thing where I step back and think about the fact that our entertainment is death. Ultimate fighting. Before, back when I was a little kid, it would be boxing. Yeah. Okay? I'd watch boxing with my dad. Yeah. Now all these dads are watching Ultimate Fighting. What is Ultimate Fighting? It's mixed martial arts where they do these chokeholds and there's really no rules. I think that maybe there's a bunch now, but back in the old days, the only rules were no eye gouging and no biting. Everything else is is okay. But they're not killing each other. They're not killing each other, but it is a completely violent thing. Okay. So to your point, we surround our kids. Like if you go to a sports bar right now, Many of the TVs will have ultimate fighting on there. Yeah, yeah. And it is a, it's very disturbing. And I know a lot of guys that are listening right now that like it are going to think, oh, Todd, what, a, what, what a pansy. Mm-hmm. What, I'm proud to be wimpy. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm softening up in my old age, but I don't get, and some of my best friends love it. Like they, they'll do the pay-per-view. They'll pay, spend 50 bucks. They make to, it an event. They make it an event. And I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me, but it's hard for us to tell our kids, hey, be nice to each other when they're watching Ultimate Fighting at home or they're watching Ultimate Fighting at the sports bar when you go get your chicken wings or the games that they're playing. I mean, all these things kind of create an environment for something like this to happen. You're right. So there's Ultimate Fighting. There's also the movies that we let our kids see really early. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'm not even going to talk about kids. I'm going to call us out as adults. And I'm calling myself out. Mm -hmm. We watch movies and TV shows where people are killing each other constantly. And it's strange because if I don't think about it, it's just part of our culture. It's just like, oh, that's what we do. But let's stop and really think about that. What, what 
makes us interested in watching something is when people are killing each other. Mm-hmm. It's a really strange. Don't you know what I mean? Do you well, know what I mean? Well, it's strange uh, to the newcomer, but you get conditioned to it. That's, so then it becomes not so that's strange. That's the word I'm looking for is I'm so conditioned to it that I don't deep think about it very no. much. But again, you know, when I met Gloria and when I took course to it really opened my eyes, um, you know, to what we perceive as normal. Yeah. And it's not normal. Can I see the back of the book? You can, but I, but not yet, because okay. I have a few things here that I wanted to read. Okay. And um, we haven't, you know, again, Todd and I are talking about a lot of things here, but, you know, school shootings is one of them. Right. Okay. It's become something so normal in our society that our teachers and our administrators are now trained to deal with a school shooting. Kids know what to do if a shooter comes into the school. Right. And we somehow are like, okay, good. Now we got that under control. Right. How do we get there? Right. Like, how has this become a normal thing? And again, there are too many things to talk about here. I'm not going into gun laws. Yeah, and we're all, scraping and the surface. Mental illness. There are so many factors. Factors. But one of the factors is the way that we have conditioned ourselves and our children to violence. Mm-hmm. And um, one, so I'm going to read something directly from this book, Stop Teaching Our Kids to Kill. And th- this chapter is actually called It's Not Normal. The root cause, one of the root causes, is the steady diet of violent entertainment our kids see on TV, in movies, and in the video games they play. As they sit in front of their screens and digital devices for 40 hours this week, 40 hours each week. This amount of continuous exposure to gratuitous violent images sensationalizes murder, rape, and torture. The fact is that media violence primes children to see killing as acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's normalized for them. And it's not shocking. Whereas if that's not something that for us, like if, if we're in our heart center, we can't even fathom. Right. We can't fathom hurting other people, other other creatures, our planet. But because we see it all the time. Right. And, you know, honestly, I just like bringing it up as a topic because I like us to just consider it. I don't think there is one solution to it. I don't think that um, it means that you have to get rid of your gaming system and throw the TV out the window. Right. I just think we need to know what our kids are watching. First step is awareness and knowledge. Exactly. And that doesn't mean there is a time, there is an age where their brains can, right. I'm not saying that then go all into the horror genre, but there is a, a place where our kids are, are mature enough where they can handle things. Right. But I remember when our kids were little and like Pirates of the Caribbean was like a big movie. And I remember we had friends like with two-year-olds and three-year-olds who were watching Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. And it, that's so overwhelming and mm-hmm. violent. Mm-hmm. And there's there we just go, oh, well, if it's on DVD, it must be okay. Right. Or and Well, and we'll get into this in the second half of the show, but the whole prefrontal cortex yes, thing. So yes. we'll, we'll get into that okay. as well. Okay. So, um, isn't there some kind of crazy stats like how many – murders a normal kid has seen on screen by the time they're age of 10 there is but i don't have it okay. in my i don't want to make it up um but yes i mean it's ridiculous like the stat i think that i used to have on hand was about how many murders like a kindergartner has seen yeah. if it be on the news or if it be in movies or tv shows or, or whatever or, or in whatever. a game and you know and here's the thing about video games you guys the um we've done a show on video games before but i think the typical buyer 
of mm-hmm. violent, mature video games are in between 8 and 15, and then it goes, like, from 30 to 42. Yeah. It's something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's, like, a little window where... Where there's no video games. Yeah, there's kids, there's, you know, young men or older teenagers who get distracted and do other fun stuff, and yeah. then all of a sudden... All of a sudden we get old and our life becomes boring. <laughs> so and, we start watching violent video games um, and start but playing them. Yeah, we did a show called Do You Know What Your Children Are Playing? And that was zenparentingradio.com slash 27. So it's back in the old days. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, but it's worth listening to because, you know, some of the, the movies, I think we actually give the top 10 most um, violent, or not movies, violent video games. games. And, you know, some of these video games, it's more than just the just murder, which is bad enough in itself. It's violence against police officers. It's raping women. It's urinating on women. It's racial slurs. And we're buying these for our kids or our kids are buying them and taking them downstairs. And we're like, bye, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't see what it is. And some of them, some of the video games are not as bad. You know what I mean? Like there are some, but there are some that are just over the top. All right. I want to talk about our second partner, and then we're going to go to the second half of the oh, discussion. Oh, okay. So, you okay did you? With that? Yeah. Did you want to see the back? No, of I just want to see if there was so stat can I just, on there. Can I just finish real quick? Sure. Just saying. Okay. Again, um, stop teaching our kids to kill. Uh, it's the actually the uh, subtitle is a call to action against TV, movie, and video game violence. Lieutenant uh, Colonel Dave Grossman and Gloria DeGatano. So, check out this book. Lieutenant Dan, I scream. Our second partner is the other Dr. Kelly um, from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Um, they, uh, Dr. Kelly Justice on a weekly basis, all five of us, their number is 630-941-8733. They're located here in Elmhurst, Illinois, uh, com. And always remember that Dr. Kelly is the only certified pediatric chiropractor in Elmhurst. So that's Dr. Kelly. Um, so one quick hit and run thing I wanted to throw at you. Okay. Um, and, oh, I remember what I want to do. So we were at Greenfest or whatever it was called, Green Fair on the Fox uh-huh. last week. This is a resource. It's got nothing to do with parenting, but I thought it was pretty cool. If you're living, if you're in Illinois, <laughs> Todd was just holding it up like I was filming it. If you're in Illinois, um, there's something called that the Illinois State Treasurer's Office does. So at this green fair that we were at there's a lady tabletop lady and she you walk up and she says what's your name and then she's gonna ask, ask you your social well you didn't say what it was called yet i cash i c a s h discover what's yours and what it is it's um you know however old you are you've been paying bills and receiving money for like 20 30 40 years and sometimes you leave um and some type of agreement and you, there's money owed to you, but you don't know it's owed to you. So, so what we did at this green fair is you walk up, you give your name and your address, and they look you up in their little computer system. And they'll say, yep, we owe you money. They'll say, yep, there's money owed. So you had, and they won't tell you exactly how much. Yours was between 10 and and $100. It turns out it was $92. $92 from some- State Farm. State Farm. I changed, and it was when I lived in Chicago, I changed from State Farm to another insurance carrier, mm-hmm. and um, they, they owed me money, and I didn't know it. Yes. So it's iCash- dot illinois dot gov dot gov and our brother-in-law drew his was between 100 and 300 bucks no way and when i talked to the lady at the table i said what's the most you ever heard and she her she had a direct client who was owed sixty four thousand dollars come on due to an inheritance that that um he didn't know about oh my god so anyways that's you know we're always trying to help our listeners <laughs> so if you don't live in illinois maybe there's something in your state but if you're living in illinois just go to iCash.illinois.gov 
gov. And I just, I thought that was pretty cool. iCash.illinois.gov. Yeah. All and right. see if you have any money. Um, I wanted to throw a few, uh, let's talk about your blog. And then maybe if we have time, I'll throw some other okay. things at you. The you name of start? The, the name of the blog is? I don't remember. Um, it's been a tough week. No, that's the first sentence. Want change, then oh. rethink. Want change, then rethink. What so, are you talking about here? So in, it's interesting because I was kind of merging two things that I was thinking about. One of them was, again, as I tend to write about a lot, focusing on our ability to create change in our life. And the fact that people will say, well, this is just the way it is, or I'm just stuck, or this, you know, this is someone's fault, or there's just this, this like, this stuckness, this mm. collective uh, consciousness of stuckness, where okay. we think we don't have any way out. And the truth is, in every decision that we make, every moment of the day, we always have choices. Yep. And what I was influenced or motive or inspired by this girl, this 13 year old girl who developed this software um, in Chicago and it's called rethink. And what she did is she did some research on the adolescent brain and she figured out as many of you who understand the brain may know that the prefrontal cortex in an adolescent is not fully developed. And basically what that means is their decision-making isn't as great as an adult. And if you understand that, then you understand why your kids respond to you the way they do. Yeah, they don't have the uh, they don't have the brain capacity. I don't know if that's the right word, but their brain hasn't developed yes. enough. It's still maturing. So that's why kids screw up. I mean, yeah. it doesn't completely leave them off the hook, but sometimes you just don't think. For example, I remember when I was like twelve years old, I was putting my garage in the putting my <laughs> bike in the back of the garage. I put it the wrong way. Usually, it goes long ways, uh-huh. and I put it. The other way. Uh-huh. So sure enough, the car backed into it. Of course. And kind of broke the bike. And your thought- And it wasn't my fault. It was the prefrontal cortex's <laughs> fault, sweetie. Well, it was your decision-making ability is still maturing. It's still developing. So like you said, doesn't mean you're off the hook. You still may have a consequence, but that's continuing to develop your brain. Right. Those synapses start to connect because you've had a, a, a quote-unquote failure, negative experience that helps you strengthen that place. Mm-hmm. So that's why we talk about in this show a lot about how failure is actually not a bad thing right. because kids learn from it and they strengthen you know, their ability to process. But that's not what this is about. What this girl found out is that, and I don't have all the stats in front of me, even though the article that we'll link to mm-hmm. um, has all the statistics, all the research that she did, is that when it comes to cyberbullying, if an adolescent or a teenager is about to post something, especially if it's mean or disrespectful to others, if they are given a cue which is like another pop-up right before it goes live mm. that says, are you sure mm-hmm. you want to post this? Right. Do you, have you thought, you know, I don't know exactly what the pop-up right. said, right. but something to the effect of, I'm Give you one more chance that you want to post this thing. Right. That, that the, the statistic was crazy. Yeah. Like only 6% of the kids would actually post it. So, where before that it was 71%. So all they needed was one more chance Q. to think about it yes. before Pressing yes. And so she discovered this and did enough research to show that the rethink actually cut down on cyberbullying. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where you're getting right to the source. Yeah. Instead of trying to, like, you know, punish the, the people who are doing it and strengthen the people who are having to deal with it, go to the source. Right. How do you keep it from happening? Right. And she's 13, and I love that yeah. part. Um, but what I was writing about was the fact that as adults, we have prefrontal cortexes that are developed or they're supposed to be, yet 
And we have the power to rethink, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of... So we um, don't have the same excuse that they have. No, we don't. We are Our prefrontal cortex supposedly is fully developed, so we should know better, but we don't. Well, and what we have, which is what they don't have, is we're conditioned to have a story. We have a story about the world, yeah. and we have a story about people. Right. And we have enough experiences that we've decided we know what's happening, when really we don't. Sweetie, this is right from your blog. We look around at others and blame them for our suffering, but our suffering is our own, often caused by our belief system, our our past hurts, our inability to see outside of the tunnel vision we have created. And the tunnel vision we have created is basically we've gotten so narrow in an effort to protect ourselves yeah. that we've decided I'm not going to do that because that hurt me once. I'm gonna, not going to do that because I was embarrassed by that. I'm not going to do that because that made me sad. And we've gotten this really narrow tunnel vision and we don't try anything anymore. Yeah. Or we blame other people or we instantly yell up someone because we assume they're trying to hurt us right. when maybe they're just trying to make a suggestion yeah. or help us out. Out. And so I think that the whole point of the blog was you can rethink. Mm. And when someone does make you angry, you don't have to retaliate. Right. You don't have to. Yeah. People are like, well, I'm going to have to get them back. Actually, you don't. Right. Because the, the person that you're going to hurt the most is yourself. And we don't believe that. We think that I'm going to hurt that other person, therefore I've solved the problem. The reason people do that is when they hurt the people back, there is probably an instant sense of gratification. A moment. But then I think for most of us, that instant sense of gratification goes away very quickly. And then there may be some guilt or some resentment of, of what you just did. And in the bigger picture, you're perpetuating pain in the world. Yeah. So you look around at the world and you say, gosh, you know, the world, this, this world is so awful. I can't believe how awful this world is. And you don't take responsibility for the fact that you are putting pain out in the world too. And that's what people like to do. They like to point the finger, you know, point their fingers at everybody else and not look at what their own behavior is causing. Right. Now, here's what I'll say. If somebody else hurts you, you do need... Sweetie, the world is a vampire. It's not a very uplifting pumpkin song. Billy's always so uplifting. The world is a vampire. Sent to drink. Yeah. Okay. My, my plan is too long. Yes. Sorry. No, you're just trying. You're just jamming out on your own. Well, I don't get to play pumpkins very often. Well, and that's what people feel like. They feel like a rat in a cage. That's right. You know. And you're not a rat in a cage. Well, and what I was going to say before Billy started jamming out was the fact that. It doesn't mean if someone hurts you, you absorb it and take it in and don't talk about it. You can still vent and you can still talk to someone you love and you can still acknowledge that it's unfair or hurtful or harmful, but you deal with yourself and the way you feel. I think one of our biggest responsibilities is to continuously, to the best of our ability, come back to center and not allow hurtful people to make us more hurtful. What about this example? Okay. Waiter, my soup is cold. I know what you're getting at. I don't know if that's exactly I think this. it is because, look, things happen to us as people. And the most simple way I can say it is somebody brings you at a restaurant a cold bowl of soup. Mm -hmm. Some people might respond, hey, get mad at the waiter. First of all, the waiter didn't make the soup cold. You know what? I do. I like this example because I see what you're trying to say. So you can say my soup is cold without getting all jazzed up and mad. That waiter and that chef 
have nothing against you. Right. They're not trying to hurt you. Right. And they didn't intentionally bring you cold soup right. like maybe your mother did when you were five. Right. Or the place you used to work that treated you poorly. This is a new set of people who are not trying to hurt you, but you are are responding to them with all your past hurt and anger. And you're saying, my soup is cold. Right. Get the manager. I shouldn't have to pay for this bill. I'm walking out. Whatever it is. And they're kind of like, you could actually just say, hey, my soup is cold. Well, and here's the, here's the practice. If we can do this, because obviously, you know, n- nobody, when your soup comes cold, I don't think anybody's purposely trying to hurt you. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people in our lives that were interacting with on a daily basis, sometimes people are trying to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So the first practice, the first step is when these types of um, examples happen in your lives where it's really is nothing personal, see if you can deal with that in a situation with a little bit of compassion. Because then if you could do that with the waiter at the restaurant, maybe you can do it to your wife who is purposely trying to hurt you. Absolutely. And the thing is, is the visual that I get is some people are so filled up to the top yeah. with their own emotions. They're unreleased, undiscussed, um, un, um, not given attention to the way that they're feeling. And they're so full of it that no matter what happens, they spill over. You know what? This goes, I'm sorry, I'm totally jumping in on you. But this is, we talked about last week, the mini breakdown story mm. between you and I. Mm. The reason you and I don't have any huge fights yeah, is because when something annoys us about the other, which happens, we bring it up to each other. Yeah, Right before I traveled last week, I was kind of, going in 85 different directions. I was not present. And you said, you called me out in a loving way. You said, Todd, you haven't really been here lately. When I have been, physically I was there, Mm -hmm. but I've been, and my brain has been elsewhere. But while you said that, you also said, I also noticed that you took Skylar to the pool today. You did the laundry. You said it in a very compassionate way. And but it, you still were annoyed with me in that moment, right? Yeah, and because what I was trying to say to you was when Todd travels and he comes, he does a big trip and then he comes home for two days and then he travels again. When he comes home for those two days, he can't get back into our routine. So he sits, and, I, and I'm I'm saying extremes here, but he'll go, he'll sit in front of his computer yeah. and constantly work and try and like completely fill every moment with productivity because that's what he's used to doing on the road. Right. But when he comes home, and this is hard, He's got to kind of shift back into our structure of I'm on, you're on, I'm mm. on, you're on. But when he's traveling and he comes home, he forgets that he's a part of the the routine. And what I said to him, and I'm taking responsibility for this part, it's just like when he comes home from work and then he says to me, okay, I'm home. Now you go out and do the things you want to do. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go because I've got laundry in the washing machine and I have a hard time shifting into Back, work mode right. when he comes home. Just like I have a hard time shifting, shifting out of work mode. And and that everything you said is true. And I think that there, there's some wisdom that can be gained by what you just said. But I was saying it more in the idea of you didn't internalize that. No. You, you did as you, you said it. So like you had a mini breakdown, whatever you want to call it. Because I think what a lot of couples do is they hold, they hold, they yeah. hold, they hold, and then they explode. They swallow. They Right. And the reason that you and I had that discussion even before I brought that work thing up to you is I went and had uh, – lunch with a friend a couple weeks ago and she was kind of telling me about some things and I was telling her about some things and she made a comment like oh you just don't seem to have anything going on or you just you don't have you don't have any drama in your life or you can handle everything and I said no 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 
I have a lot of mini breakdowns, Mm -hmm. but I have very few huge breakdowns. And the reason that I don't have huge breakdowns is I kind of handle them one at a time. Yeah, as they come. I don't have less stuff happening to me and I don't have, there's nothing better or competitive about I'm handling things you're not. It's that when they come, you deal. They come, you deal. Well, and the timing of that, you didn't bring it up during dinner. You didn't bring it up while we were trying to do something with our girls. You brought it up brought it up at the end of the day while we're maybe hopefully a little more relaxed. Well, this was actually funny. Do you remember when I brought it you up? You texted me. <laughs> well, this is what I did. You were downstairs and you said, I'll be up in a few minutes and you were finishing up. So I went up to bed and, and I knew that I was going to have a conversation with you. Right. And I read my book and then I fell asleep and I woke up and you still weren't yeah, upstairs. An hour later went by and I was still working. Doing, yeah, working. And so I texted him and said, could you come upstairs before I fall asleep? Because I wanted to talk to you. Right. Because and a lot of people would say, oh, screw it. You know, I'll talk to him when he gets back because the next morning I you was were leaving. leaving. Yeah. So then all that resentment would have built up over the next 48 hours that I was gone. Or what could have happened. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to say not or, but yes. And what we'll do is we'll say, we'll forget about him. I'm not going to talk to him about it. And then the next morning we might feel better. But that emotion is still living in us somewhere. We might be like, oh, no, I'm over that. But that emotion didn't get released. So to Todd's point about it building up, the next time you are annoyed, you would say in like two weeks ago when you didn't come up to bed. Yeah, you forget about it for two weeks. And then the minute you get annoyed again, you have this vivid memory and you bring it up. And then all of a sudden the dude's like, whoa, wait a second, slow down. Like, what are you bringing something up from two weeks ago? I thought everything has been fine. Just to be fair, dudes do this to girls too. Of course. Dudes will not say anything or men will not say anything. And then they'll do the same thing. Like, Mm -hmm. well, you've been doing this or you've been doing that. And the woman's like, well, you got to let me know if that bugs you. Right. And here's the thing that I want for in my most intimate relationships with Todd and with the girls and my family and my friends is I want them to trust what I say to them. And I want them to know that if I was bothered by something, I would let them know. Then they don't have to guess when they're around me. Because I sometimes have difficulty when I'm with people who never share because you're never quite sure where you stand with them. And I don't mean they're going to say you're good or bad, but they're going to let you know if maybe you're not being, you know... Available, or they're going to let you know if something's bothering them. And the reason I do this now is because I didn't used to. So, one thing I used to do is I've been on the other side of this where I would let things build up, or I'd swallow things, or I would put everyone's needs before my own. And that backfired on me in a major way. And so, I've realized that one of the best relationship, if I want to keep my relationships healthy, yeah. I have to be honest. And and in that conversation with you, I didn't even say, here's what you need to do. No. I just needed, it's almost like that detached from outcome thing. I just need to say to you that I'm noticing you're not available and I know you got to travel tomorrow, but when you come home, can we kind of continue this discussion? Right. Because, and Todd, the, one of the most important things is he will, when I say he allows me to say it, I don't mean that in a man, woman thing. I mean, he listens. And he doesn't well, say... Well, I, I listen, but I unfortunately unfor- or unfortunately internalize. Like, you remember what I said to you that on Thursday when I got back? You said, I, I hate that I disappoint you. Right. And what and did you I, say back I to me? I said, you never disappoint me. And he right. says, yes, I do. And I said, well, there are behaviors... Like, you thought I was saying, I hate that 
you think I'm a disappointment. Uh, and I said, you are not a disappointment, right. but sometimes behavior yeah. can be disappointing because my expectations are different. Right. And I know some people are going to be like, what's the difference? Well, there's a huge difference to yeah. me because Todd as a human being has never been a disappointment to me ever. Mm-hmm. But sometimes my behavior has been disappointing to you right. and your behavior yes. has been disappointing That's called to marriage. Me. And our children are not disappointments. No. Their behavior yeah. can be disappointing. How about coach Eric last night? Uh, oh, Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. Yeah, we're almost done with that series. Yeah, he got he got disappointed with his daughter. Yeah, he did. Um, but anyway, um, so anyway, that's, All right, that's so it. So we got to, we're totally over time. Okay. But that was a good discussion. So uh, one uh, soapbox uh, marketing thing I want to talk about. Okay. Sometimes I want to do things the old school business model way where we like do Google ads and do these things and it usually kind of flops and nothing mm-hmm. happens. And Kathy is more of the organic, let's just trust that what we're saying is getting out there. Well, okay. I go, would... S- go ahead. Okay. I would say that what I believe in is do good work, work with integrity and people will find you. Right. And because I don't base my success on how much money we make, right. then it's kind of like... For the joy of it. So this is more of a call to our listeners because we're 50 minutes into this podcast and the only reason you're still listening to it is because you like it a lot. (laughs) So this is more just me asking really the best way for us to grow is for for our listeners to share our podcast if, if you feel comfortable doing it because that's really the best vehicle for us to spread our message. Yeah. So just go ahead and do that. Yeah. That's all. And thank you for the kind reviews. We've gotten some wonderful reviews. and um, Yes, we got one from a JP Friend from the USA, and it's called A Huge Part of My Week. I'm not going to read it, but you can go to iTunes and read it. And then good old Michelle from Canada. This is kind of a personal one. I don't know if I should read it or not, but it had to do with her leaving her abusive husband and how we're really a big part of her week. So Well, and I think what she said is I can't I don't have it in front of me, but we inspired her to remember that love is important and that, you know, um I think everyone knows love is important, but she knows I love it. listening to the two of you. It gives me hope and a renewed faith in love. My oh. son and I are forever grateful for your guidance and knowledge. A million thanks. Michelle from Canada. So thank you to both of those reviewers. Michelle and what, who was the other one? JP? Uh, the other guy is JP Friend. JP, thank you. Thanks, Japes. Um, all right. And then the other marketing stuff is if you want to get all of Kathy's blogs or our um, po- our weekly podcast or our newsletter, go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe. It's in the right-hand corner. We have the, the Race to Nowhere uh, screening on September 11th. That's also in our show notes at zenparentingradio.com. And that's radio.com. in Elmhurst at Field School. It's in Elmhurst. Sponsored by Field PT. And then don't forget to shop uh, on Amazon via ZenParentingRadio.com. There's a little search search bar in the lower right-hand thing. So um, do you have any... lower right-hand thing? Yeah. Um, Todd is very tired. So is this the song we're going to go out on? Yeah. This is just a really pretty pumpkin song. Okay. It's called 33. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, But Bullet with Butterfly Wings is kind of a negative song. So I want to finish with a, a melodic beautiful song sounds great no what are you gonna say i you know what i'm not going to because it's gonna launch into a whole nother thing and we gotta close out the show just listen to the song just think it's pretty keep trucking have a good week everybody keep trucking